Session 10, The Way of Salvation, Part 1, Introduction, Wesley. And first, let us inquire, what is salvation? The salvation which is here spoken of is not what is frequently understood by that word. The going to heaven, eternal happiness. It is not the soul's going to paradise. It is not a blessing which lies on the other side of death. The very words of the text itself put this beyond all question. Ye are saved. It is not something at a distance. It is a present thing, a blessing, which through the free mercy of God ye are now in possession of. Nay, the words may be rendered, and that with equal propriety, ye have been saved. So that the salvation which is here spoken of might be extended to the entire work of God, from the first dawning of grace in the soul till it is consummated in glory. Sermon, The Scripture Way of Salvation, Outler, page 273. Wesley's doctrine of sin affected his doctrine of salvation. Again, following Eastern theology, he conceptualized sin as a disease that needed the healing touch of God as physician. His understanding of salvation, then, can be termed therapeutic. Maddox, page 144. Western, Reformed theology focuses on the need for the forgiveness of guilt found in justification and on God as judge and justifier. Wesley is deeply indebted to this tradition, as expressed particularly by the Moravians in his understanding of sola fide. However, Wesley went further and envisioned the whole of the work of God to include justification and sanctification. In this session, we will look at the work of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in the initial work of salvation, which Wesley preferred to call the new birth. Atonement Theories The work of Christ on the cross has been interpreted in many different ways. These are known as atonement theories. The Ransom Theory This theory envisions humanity being held captive by Satan. Christ's death is the ransom or payment given in order to free us from Satan's imprisonment. The resurrection of Jesus, however, is God's way of taking back the ransom from Satan. The Satisfaction Theory This theory is concerned that sin has been an affront to God's sense of honor. This honor must be vindicated or justified. Thus, God sends Jesus to die on the cross as a means of atoning for sin and of restoring God's sense of satisfaction that sin has been paid for. The Penal Satisfaction Theory This is very similar to the Satisfaction Theory, but instead of God's honor needing vindication, God's justice does. It is just that sin be punished. Christ thus takes the punishment upon himself, thus maintaining God as a just God. The Christus Victor Theory This theory was developed in the early church period. It affirms simply that Christ has been victorious over sin by taking sin upon himself innocently and by being raised from the dead by the power of God. This same power can defeat sin within us. The Recapitulation Theory This theory was also developed early in the history of the church. It focuses on Jesus Christ as the second Adam. This theory focuses on more than the cross. It envelops all of Christ's life, lived obediently for God. What Adam did wrong through disobedience, Jesus does right through obedience. The cross is the greatest expression of that obedience. Jesus, in a sense, redeems human life by giving us a model for living the life fully committed to the will of God. The Governmental Theory 
This theory is most often associated with Arminianism, formally developed by a student of James Arminius, Hugo Grotius. Christ's death allowed God to offer forgiveness to all who repented, while at the same time retained governmental control. An important distinction must be made from the satisfaction theory in that Christ did not pay the penalty for our sin, but instead suffered for us. Such a distinction is crucial for Arminians because this atonement is unlimited. Thus, if Christ had paid the penalty for all, then no one would be in need of redemption because Christ would have already taken the punishment. Instead, the governmental theory insists that Christ's suffering was a substitute for penalty so persons could receive forgiveness, yet, at the same time, understand the seriousness of their sin as to not return to it. The Moral Influence Theory This theory was established by Abelard, 1079-1142, and attempts to deal with some of the flaws in the penal satisfaction theory. For the Moral Influence Theory, the atonement is found in the Incarnation instead of in the Crucifixion and Resurrection. Christ came to set the perfect example of love and only died as another demonstration among many of that love. Salvation is experienced as an act of recognition of this ultimate example of love as a lifestyle. Wesley was interested in the objective reality of the atonement, but also equally interested in the subjective influence on us. He borrowed from several different theories on different occasions to make his point. Atonement theories primarily speak to what Christ accomplished for us, but the doctrine of soteriology goes much deeper. It asks the question, how is Christ's atonement applied to us personally? Randy Maddox suggested, rather than fitting Wesley into the traditional model of ordo salutis, it is more appropriate to talk about Wesley as having a via salutis, that is to say, rather than envisioning the Christian life as a series of steps, an order of salvation, it should be conceptualized as a way of salvation, as a moment-by-moment -moment process that involves God's action and our response. For our purposes here, we will talk about certain salvific steps, but this is for the sake of clarity only. In Wesley's way, the steps flow fluidly into each other. Provenient Grace Salvation begins with God's free gift of provenient grace, given from the moment we are born. Provenient grace is the presence and work of the Holy Spirit. It is provenient grace that draws or woos us to God, awakening our souls for the need of God. This grace, as all grace, can be resisted, but if it is allowed to do its work, provenient grace and the presence of the Holy Spirit will bring a person to the place of awakening. This is the place where we are convicted and convinced of our own sinfulness and helplessness apart from God. This awareness of need can be the result of events, sermons, the witness of others, or even something more internal as the Spirit does His work. If we allow ourselves to be awakened, the next step is the step of repentance. Before we move on to repentance, there are three other functions of provenient grace that should be noted here. First, the Holy Spirit is so active in the world, we can say all truth is God's truth. A person does not need to be a Christian in order to be a brilliant brain surgeon. In fact, most of us would choose to be operated on by an excellent brain surgeon who is an atheist rather than a Christian brain surgeon who is not as good of a surgeon. Second, provenient grace, which is given to every human being, will provide saving grace in situations where full acceptance of Jesus Christ is not possible. 
These situations would include children who die before the age of accountability, the mentally infirm, and persons who have never had the opportunity to hear the gospel, such as a 6th century BC Hindu woman. Persons who have not heard the gospel will be judged according to their response to the light, the provenient grace they have been given. Romans 1 and 2 Wesley spent a great deal of time contemplating this aspect of the Spirit's work. Third, according to Wesleyans, provenient grace makes us accountable before God for our sin. If we are born into a condition of original sin that makes us so depraved, we cannot help but choose evil, and that continually. How can a just God hold us accountable for what we cannot help? Provenient grace restores to us a graced free will so God's justice is preserved as justifiable. Repentance Awakening is closely connected to repentance in Wesley's scheme. In a sense, it is hard to distinguish where one ends and the other begins. It can be equated with godly sorrow. The sense because of our sin, we are not in right relationship with God and yet deeply wish to be. The second meaning of repentance is the actual relinquishing of sin and amending our ways. It is key for Wesley that this second aspect of repentance is possible only after faith. Otherwise, we would be inappropriately connecting salvation to our own efforts at righteousness. It is only grace through faith that enables us to repent in this second sense. Faith Wesley's debt to the Moravians and the Lutheran tradition on the nature of faith cannot be overestimated. However, Wesley did not simply accept such an understanding without modification. He developed his thought over time. Wesley's initial encounter with the Moravians changed Wesley's understanding of salvation. Put simply, before 1737, Wesley believed sanctification preceded justification. After 1738, Wesley reversed the order. We are justified by faith alone, sola fide. We do not make ourselves righteous in order to make ourselves worthy of God's justification. Justification is a free gift of God, as is faith itself. Then, in light of Wesley's primary interest in the therapeutic and sanctifying aspect of salvation, rather than in the Western emphasis on forgiveness of guilt, and in light of Wesley's understanding of the dynamic, cooperative relationship we have with God in our own salvation, rather than the Reformed emphasis on the irresistibility of grace, Wesley's very definition of faith broadened. Faith only as an agreement to a set of truthful claims would never be true faith in Wesley's experiential religion. Also, faith extends beyond justification and becomes the essence of trust in Christ for every moment along the way of salvation. Faith is the cooperative relationship we have with God. This is known as synergism as opposed to monergism and is foundational to all of Wesleyan theology. Witness of the Spirit Key to Wesley's understanding of the Christian experience is his doctrine of the witness of the Spirit, also known as the doctrine of assurance. As with many of his doctrines, Wesley's doctrine of assurance developed over time. The early, pre-Aldersgate Wesley connected assurance with faith. However, at this point, faith for Wesley was a rational expression of agreement to the basic statement of opinion of the Christian, particularly Anglican tradition. His own spiritual struggles and his lack of assurance, despite his orthodoxy, soon led him to question the validity of this type of rationalistic assurance. 
Wesley's contact with the Moravians moved his understanding on the doctrine of assurance to a place where Wesley expected all Christians could perceive the work and presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. His understanding was based on Romans 8, 15, and 16, which reads, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Wesley believed with the Moravians we should anticipate this experience to such a degree that if we do not have it, it is appropriate to question our faith in Christ. The Moravian insistence that following an experience of assurance, Christians should continually experience joy, peace, and certainty eventually soured in Wesley's mind. The mature Wesley came to believe while we should expect the assurance found in Romans, it is possible to have saving faith without it. It is also possible to lose one's assurance without, in fact, losing one's salvation. Concomitance of Salvation Each of the following is a designator for a different aspect of the moment of salvation. Justification To be justified by God implies our sins are forgiven. The guilt of our sins is taken away. God no longer condemns us for our transgressions against him. Wesley affirmed justification. However, he believed fuller salvation goes beyond justification to address the underlying problem or disease. Wesley's therapeutic model takes him further. Regeneration Wesley's favorite term for salvation was the new birth. This concept implies we are regenerated, born again, and are new creations in Christ. Wesley never wanted his doctrine of sanctification to minimize the power and significance of new birth. Adoption As stated earlier in the section on assurance, Wesley strongly affirms the significance of being a child of God and co-heir with Christ. This aspect of salvation also implies we are born into a family, a community of brothers and sisters in Christ. This prevents us from imagining salvation as a purely privatistic event in life. Redemption Redemption implies liberation from sin. Exodus acts as a metaphor for redemption. Redemption also implies receiving a new purpose, namely, to love God with all our being and our neighbor as ourselves. Our lives are redeemed from sin and for love. Reconciliation We are reconciled to God. This is a theme we find in Wesley's writing and also in Charles's hymns. This is the sense the alienation and estrangement from God implicit in sin is overcome when we come into a new relationship with God. Initial Sanctification Wesley never used this term, but it signifies his belief the moment of salvation begins the process of being made righteous. Application 1. Write a reflection paper chronicling your salvation and sanctification. 2. Define provenient grace and how you sensed God's Spirit working in your life prior to your conversion experience. 3. Journal your understanding of assurance and how it does or does not align with Wesley's understanding.